Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of LifePoint Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, check out lpcvan.com forward slash youth. All right, good evening, everyone. How are you? Are you guys doing good? Are you awake? Um, it is good, good to be with you guys. Dude, my name is Sam. Welcome to Citizens. Uh, I'm the youth pastor here, and uh, this is the highlight of my week. Anybody else, Wednesday, the highlight of their week, right? Anybody else measure their week on, like, how far away you are from Wednesday, right? It's like, what's today, Thursday? No, it's seven days from Citizens, right? Like, what if we did that? We should start a movement, right? Like, you tell your friends, not the day of the week, but how far away it is from Citizens. Too far? Maybe. All right. Well, hey, go ahead and open up your Bibles. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. What we're about to do, we're about to do perhaps the most important thing that we do all week. And we are currently in a book study. We're currently in our series through the book of Malachi. Malachi. And so if you don't have a Bible, uh, some of our setup squad, dude, give it up for the setup squad. Oh, right. Yo, if you're like an upperclassman dude and you're like, what am I doing with my life at Citizens? You need to join Parker and the Setup Squad, man. He was downplaying it, but that is like a six. First of all, no other team has the name Squad in it. Just say it, right? And so uh, thank you to our Setup Squad for passing out Bibles. Uh, so if you have one of those blue and white Bibles, we are on page 802. 802. And so let's, let's talk here for a second. Real life. Hashtag real talk, right? By this age, by most of you already in middle school, most of you beyond middle school, you've already had this experience where a friend does a little something, something, and let's just say makes you mad. Anybody there? Okay. Okay. I'm not talking about like, oh man, they borrowed my sneakers and didn't return them clean. I'm talking about like, you ever have a friend that did something that like, you're like, that was, that was kind of messed up, Right? Like, hey, I'm, I mean, I don't want to sound like a baby, but like, if I'm being honest, you, you really kind of hurt me there. Anybody? Okay. And you go, you know what? I'm going to be the bigger man, right? I'm going to be the bigger woman. I'm just going to move on and uh, I'll just let it slide. But then have you ever had this happen? It happens again, right? And then again. And then again. Anybody? And there comes a point where it's like you're, you're thinking about it and you're talking to your friends and you're thinking over the situation and you're like, how much is too much? I mean, like, I know they're my friend and I like, I got over it once, twice, maybe even three times, but like, is there a point where I just need to move on? How much is too much? We're going through the book of Malachi right now and I'm starting to wonder this question. How much is too much? How much is too much? The book of Malachi is basically where God shows up to his people, just like this, right? There's a, not a room, but there's a country filled of people, and God shows up through this dude named Malachi, and he's like, Malachi, they are wearying me. I'm just getting to tell them, and he starts to tell them, right? And how many of you have ever been told something by someone who loves you, and it kind of hurt, right? Right? Raise your hand. Somebody has told you some hard truth and it hurt. But how many of you, keep your hands up, how many of you said, you know what, I'm just going to take that as a gift, right? Good. Very good. That's the sign of maturity, 
Not so with Malachi's Israelites. Dude, so God shows up and he's like, I gotta be honest with you, Israel. I'm gonna give you some hard truth here because I love you. And he tells them something. And they don't take it well. They're not sitting there like, you know, God, thank you. I just needed somebody that loved me to call me out. Thanks for calling me out. They go, Psh, how have we done this? And God's like, oh, no, they didn't. Really, we're gonna have some disputes here? And so God, the picture is God. He's going back and forth, almost like a courtroom. And they're like, God, psh, what do you mean that you loved us? How have you loved us? And he's like, are we really gonna get into this? And he calls them out and he's like, well, let me, let me show you some exhibits here, like in a courtroom. And he goes, exhibit A, you don't think I love you? Look what I did to Edom. I gave them exactly what they deserved, but because you're my people, I won't give you what you deserved. I'm like, psh, whatever, oh yeah, okay, okay, fine. And then he starts calling them out saying, you don't fear my name. You don't honor me. You have no reverence in your heart. And they're not like, wow, Lord, thank you for that great insight. They're like, psh, how have, what do you mean we despise your name? And he goes, what? Look at the altar. Look at what you're doing. You're bringing sick animals, right? You're supposed to be bringing God the best of what you have. And instead, what are they doing? They're like, oh, my sheep is missing legs. Uh, get rid of it on the altar. Give it to God. That's good enough, right? Hey, honey, what do we do with this sheep? It's blind. Yeah, we can't really use that. Give it to, the, give it to God at the temple. And God's like, I'm going to take the dung from your sacrifices and rub them in your face if you don't stop. And everybody said, the Bible is awesome, right? God, like, we always picture God, like, in the cloud playing a harp, you know? I'm so gentle. God is the Lord of hosts. We talk, we've ran into the battle name of God. There is fear. God is worthy of our fear, meaning our reverence and our honor. But wait, there's more. And he goes on, and he's like, dude, you guys are so faithless. And they're like, what do you mean we're faithless? And he said, you're literally divorcing your wives to go chase exotic women. You're literally leaving the wives of your youth. And I was there. I conducted the wedding ceremony. I saw you put the ring on her finger. And now you're divorcing her. You're abandoning her. You're breaking the design that I created for marriage. And you're chasing after foreign women. You're chasing the daughters of foreign gods. And we've learned that children of God should not marry children of gods. Remember? And so there comes a point where we're seeing all of this. We're, we're seeing all of their, their things. And we see how God is bringing the messenger, right? And he's going to come and purify them. And there comes a point where I'm reading the book of Malachi and I'm asking myself, I'm wondering to myself, how much is too much? Like, does there come a point where God is going to finally just wipe his hands and just find a new people? How much is too much? And that's the question that we're about to see here, that Malachi, even in the midst of this judgment, even in the midst of this intense message, he begins right here in chapter four, starting in verse six, and look what he says. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. How much is too much? Well, we see right off the bat here from the first verse that God is faithful to us even when we're faithless to him. God is faithful to us even when we're faithless to him. And so think about it, right? God he calls Abraham and he saves, he saves or, or he identifies a people. He says, I'm gonna build a nation one day. Israel, they're populating, they're growing. Israel is huge in Egypt. And God saves them 
from Egypt, and he makes them into a new people. He gives them a new purpose. He gives them a new identity, and he says to them, hey, hey, come here. Out of Egypt, come here. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. And the picture, think of it like this, right? Think of like a wedding. God didn't save them out of Egypt, right, and go, okay, how you doing, Israel? Let's, um, let's just date. Let's just see how this goes, right? Let's see how faithful you are. I can get to know you as a people. You can get to know me as a God. Let's just date for, I don't know, a couple centuries, and we'll see if we really want to make this commitment official. God doesn't do that. God's like a loyal husband where he calls them out, and he says, you're going to be my people, and he puts a ring on it right? Like, God's not dating them. God doesn't want to see how it's going. God says, I'm going to commit to you like a loyal and faithful husband who will never leave you. You're going to be my people, and I'm going to be your, well, how long before we know if this is official? He goes, no, it's official now because I said so. But why? We don't deserve, because I said so. Why did you choose us? Because I did. And he chose them. And he said, I'm going to be like a loyal and faithful husband to you that will never leave you and never forsake you. And friends, what we see here in Malachi, even after all of this stuff, that is not about to change. Look what he says. He says, I, the Lord, do not change. The loyalty, the commitment, the marriage that he had for his people, it's unconditional. God is going to be faithful to him no matter what. That will never change. And students, you need to understand why this is such good news. Because we know Israel. We know the kind of wife that Israel is to God. And yet, because God does not change, look what it says, because God does not change, Israel is not consumed. Because God does not change his loyalty or his commitment, Israel is not going to be finished, right? Like everybody, we're reading Malachi and we're like, God, just end them. Aren't you, right? Like, nobody reads in Malachi and go, God, you're being too harsh on Israel. They're kind of despicable, right? Maybe none of these things hit home, and then you get to a week like two weeks ago, and you're literally divorcing your wives to chase foreign women. That's God, thunderbolts, I'm taking all my, my metal objects home, right? Good luck. You would think if anybody deserved to be divorced, if any people group deserved to be rejected and abandoned, it would be Israel, and yet they're not finished, even though they're continually straying because God's commitment is unchanging. Think of Israel like this, right? Like when God married Israel, when he saved them and made them his people, he didn't just say like, um, think like my wedding day, right? I didn't say, dear Jordan, I'm gonna marry you and we'll figure out what that means as we go along, all right? Does that mean you're gonna be faithful only to me? I don't know, we'll figure it out. No, when I married her, we set up a covenant. When you make a vow, that's more than just like Pinterest material. When you make a vow, you're literally setting up the boundaries of the covenant. You're saying, here is how we will walk. Here is what is out of bounds. I am forsaking all other women, but you alone forever, right? That's my vow. I set up the boundaries. And in the same way, God, when he marries a people, he does this. And he says, here, here's how you're gonna walk as my people. Here's how we're gonna walk together, right? And he gives us his instruction. And he, 
makes a line and he gives us his commandments. And David, the psalmist, as he's reading the Bible, as he's reading these instructions, he goes, God, I love them. This is life to me because you're teaching me how to walk straight. You're teaching me how to walk on the path. And so he sets up the covenant for marriage and God says, here is how you will walk with me. I'm giving it to you. Here is how you walk in communion with me. Here's how you will be my people and I will be your God. And yet, what is the picture? What's the picture of Israel? Look what it says. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside. And so the picture is this, Israel. All right, here's the path. What's that? All right. Oh, I'm sorry, God, God, I'm your people, I'm your people, okay. Okay, we're walking, but what about that God over there, right? And it's just like, are you kidding me? Just walk on the, okay, okay, walk on the. And they're straying everywhere. And here's the thing, this is not just like, <laughs> you know how in high school you have different classes? And you're like, yeah, Union is a pretty good school for the most part, but that junior class, I mean, let me just tell you, you know, they're bad apples. This is more than just like one bad class in the whole history of Israel. From the days of your fathers, the people as a whole, their MO, their way of life, they are known for their continual straying. Students, if anybody deserved to be destroyed, if anybody had a long history of disobedience, it's Israel. And yet, and still, when God moves near them, even for judgment, to purify them and to the purge them, when God moves near them, he doesn't destroy them. He doesn't completely reject them. He doesn't divorce them, even though they deserve to be uh, divorced. And you have to understand, like we, we learned about this last week, right? Their actions, their straying is affecting their, the, the quality of their relationship with God, right? Like they're not waking up in the morning saying, Lord, I just feel so near to you as I please you with my life. They, that's, that's not good. Their disobedience is affecting the quality of their relationship, but still at the same time, they're not thrown out. They're not rejected. They're not divorced. And here's why because their status as the people of God, listen, guys, this is important. Their status as the people of God are not based on their actions. It's based on God's faithfulness. At the end of the day, they're not thrown out and they're not divorced because their status as God's people is not based on their actions and how well they obey. It's based on the fact that God is faithful and he said, I'll never leave you. You guys follow that? And so students, the application is clear here for you guys, right? You are not in God's family because you deserve it. A lot of people in youth group right now need to hear this, okay? Because a lot of, especially those of you who grew up in church, you, you have this idea that like Christian, cr Christianity is a game and a lot of you feel like you're winning, right? Oh, I know the game. I know it makes my parents happy, right? Any church kids in here? How many of you grew up in a church? Was anybody actually born, like literally born in the church? I was. It was awkward. <laughs> yeah, not literally, right? But you grew up in church, and we know how it is. We play the game, and we know how to behave, and we know the face we make when the pastor comes around. We're like, hey, what's going on? Oh, my youth pastor, how are you? Yes, I just, can you pray for me, please? Because I'm just really struggling with reading my Bible. That's my biggest struggle right now. Can you pray for me, small group leader? Because my biggest struggle is that I'm not spiritual enough, and I just... My biggest struggle is the fact that my parents don't understand how God works, and I do, and it's just the burden, right? 
Oh, I'm sorry, I'm, right? Too soon, right? We do that, we put on the face and we know how to play the games because somehow we miss the gospel. Somehow we grow up with this idea that I need to be a good little boy and a good little girl and that's how you win the game. And students, if you think that somehow you and God are cool because you deserve it, you don't get it. You actually miss the whole point of the Bible. We see the point of the Bible, we see the point of the gospel, even all the way back in Malachi, where God is telling them, your relationship with me, your status as my people, is not based on how well you behave. As a matter of fact, you stink, you don't behave. And yet you'll be my people because your status is not based on your actions, it's based on my faithfulness. I don't care if you grew up in church. I don't care if this is your first time at Citizens and the whole Jesus thing is new to you. Students, our message is that you are brought into God's family not because you deserve it, but because you can put your faith in Jesus and he's the only one who deserved it. If you're new to Citizens, you probably found one of those songs super weird. You're like, why are they singing about blood, right? And, And if you grew up in the church, you're like, you have no, you're like, the lamb, the blood, it was slain. And you're like, you don't realize that the people next to you probably think you're like, Hannibal Lecter, right? <laughs> we drink the blood and the Jew, and you're like, well, they drink blood, what is this? <laughs> we just don't realize it, but that's so core to who we are. Because we believe that when Jesus died on the cross, his sacrifice was a substitute for ours, and for all of us who put our faith in Jesus and follow him, God brings us into the family based on Jesus, not based on you. Your relationship with God is not based on your actions, it's based on God's faithfulness to you and the fact that he's a loyal and committed husband. And here's where it really hits home. Because that's how you're brought into the family, but even when you mess up, even when you sin, even as a Christian who has been baptized and you're a student leader and you're supposed to be mature, even when you mess up, you do not have to fear that somehow you've made God fed up and he's done with you. You don't have to fear that you've made God go to the end of his rope. You don't have to fear that God changed his mind about saving you because instead, look what he does. He doesn't kick us out. Look what he does instead. Next verse. Help me out, Skylar. Next slide. He says, return to me and I will return to you. When his children are sinful, God calls them to return to him. You see the picture here? God's like a husband here, watching his wife stray off the path, and he says, hey, return to me. Come back to me. I'm here, and I'm ready to resume communion with you. I'm not gonna leave you. I will never leave you. Yes, I'm tired of this, and yes, I'm calling you out on your sin, and I will purge you and purify you, but I want you to return to me. I won't leave you. You're still my people. And he says so much in Hebrews. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Students, the next time you find yourself in sin, right? Like in an hour, okay? There's two options. Here's what you do. You're up late at night. You find yourself in sin and the thought comes into your mind. I can't even look God in the eyes right now, right? Oh, I can't even... I can't even believe I'm here again. I'm so ashamed of myself. I have strayed. I just, you know what? I I can't even look at God. I'm gonna have to give this some time. That's my punishment. God, I will punish myself for like three days and then I'll come and talk to you again. That's not, that's not it. 
the only proper response when you find yourself in sin, look at the God who said that I won't leave you even when you sin. And that picture, the picture of God's beautiful grace, you know what that does to us? That draws us, even out of our sin. And that says, man, God, I know I messed up, but I just wanna be near that love right now. God's grace, his kindness to us, even when we sin, that draws us to repentance, right? When we stray off the path, if somebody's just sitting there with a gavel saying, you better come back or else, that, that doesn't make us wanna go back there. But God is sitting there watching us stray and he goes, you know what? I'm still not gonna leave you. And you go, who the heck can love me like that? God, look at me, I'm filthy. And he says, I've returned to me and I will return to you. And so, you still with me, right? God is not changing. God is faithful to us, even when we're faithless to him. And so he says, return to me. And now we're about to see one of the major ways, right? We're about to see one of the major ways that they needed to return to him. You're about to see one of the major ways, and it may surprise you, one of the major ways that God is calling them to stop straying. You ready? Everybody say, stop straying. Here's how they need to stop straying. Look at the next verse, starting in verse seven. But you say, how shall we return? Dude, there they are again, these idiots, right? Return to me. Psh, how, how do we need to return to you? And you're like, stop talking, right? How much is too much? Good thing I'm not God with Israel, right? Good thing I'm not their husband, because um, too much was in chapter one. How shall we return? And he, God says, will man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Okay, We're, so right here, right? Tithing and contributions, this was a regular part of their gathering. So you guys see that? Everybody say tithes and contributions. Very, I won't make you fill that in the blank. I mean, I could since you have a word bank, but I won't, right? This was a regular part of their worship. And so the tithe, it was simply this. This was when uh, an Israelite, they would bring a tenth, one-tenth, that is 10%, okay? So you cut off 90 and you take the other 10%. And so they would literally, they would take one-tenth of their income and they would bring it over here to God as a sacrifice, okay? So what kind of wealth do you think they were bringing to the altar? What do you think? Animal, right, exactly. See, they weren't here, they weren't here like at the, at the ATM, like cashing out their check, and they go, all right, $100, so $10, God, that's your, they weren't bringing God cash money, okay? They were bringing God a tenth of their wealth, which for them, their livestock, right, their animals, so they'd bring him an, an offering of their animals. Um, some of them were farmers, right, so they got like corn on the cob, they're growing all the, what else do you grow out of the ground? Farmer girls, help me out. Wheat. Any other farmer dudes? Corn, wheat. You grow cucumbers out of the ground? Oh, uh, I, I was thinking like big stalks. I think that's what I was trying to think of. They're not big stalks, are they? What? A spare? Really? I only know cornfields. I grew up in Pennsylvania. That's all we had. But so they would do is right. They go. They go. They uh. They have the big crop of corn. And they go. And they and they cut it all. And they go. God, here is ten percent of that. And so they bring him their wealth, they bring God their wealth as a sacrifice. But check this out, God didn't want them to bring these contributions, right? God wasn't saying, God's not sitting here at the altar going, guys, I'm so hungry, 
please bring me some of your wealth. Guys, I ran out of money. Can you please bring me some of your crops? Can you give me some value? God doesn't want them to bring the tithes and contributions for his sake. He wants them, he doesn't need them. He wants them to make this a part of their worship for their sake. So think about this. When somebody took 10% of their income and brought it and burned it on the altar as a sacrifice to God, it's as if they were saying, God, everything I have is from you. You take care of me, not money. Whoa, look at all the corn. This is all, I should have just brought corn stalks. Can we get corn stalks, someone? Any farmers grow corn? Can you bring me some corn next week? Tis the season, you're right, for corn. And so they would bring it, and they go, here's all my corn. God, here's 10% of it. I'm just gonna live on 90% of it, God. In a lot of cases, the offering was actually more than 10%. You read some of the laws and how they conducted their society. Some of them were often up to 30%. The point was that they were giving away a significant portion to God. Why? Because they realized, God, this is all yours anyway, and I mean, you gave it to us, and so God, I'm going to have this regular, sacrificial, disciplined giving as a way of saying, God, this is not my provider, you are. God, I don't take care of myself, you do. And so regular giving has and always always will be a constant reminder to us that our wealth is God's and not our own. How much money do you have in your pocket right now? How much? Zero. <laughs> All right. How much money's in your bank account right now? Zero. All right. Bad move, huh? The reality is, students, and I know this is going to sound far-fetched, how many seniors are in here? Seniors? All right. So you're closer to this. Juniors? You're closer. Sophomores? You're pretty much almost there. Here's the deal. You won't have zero dollars in your bank account forever. All right. I know that sounds like far-fetched. You're like, yeah, I know. I'll have 100 bucks one day. All right, listen. You're going to grow up. Listen, listen, listen. Shh, shh, shh. You're going to grow up. You're going to have money, okay? But here's the thing. Every dollar that you ever make, even middle schoolers, you'll have money one day, right? You're like, what's money? But you'll have money one day. And here's the reality. Every dollar that you make, every job that you get, every ounce of any wealth or income that you have, it's God's, not yours. God actually just like almost lends you his money and he goes, here, make something happen with that. Be a good steward, be responsible. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, James says. And so our wealth is God's, not our own. And so check it out, every time, every time that they're bringing these offerings, they're reminding themselves, God, this is not mine, it's yours. But look what they've done. God says that you're robbing me. They've stopped bringing these offerings. They've stopped giving to God what is actually already his. And so God says, let's call this what it is. You're robbing me. (laughs) You can rob God? Yeah, because all of it is his. So if you're not giving to him what is already his, what do you call that? Angel, do you have my phone? Give it to me. No, you robbed me. Right? No, this is my money, and I'm going to give it to God. I'm going to throw a tip at God, right? Right? For you seniors that you go hang out at Applebee's, and all the, make sure you tip the waiters, okay? Tip the servers, please. But you're not giving a tip to God. When you put 10 bucks in the bucket and you go, hey God, you've been pretty good to me. Take care of yourself. Here's a 10. You're not, you're not doing God any favors. And it doesn't matter how old you are, you just keep adding zeros to that. And it's the same principle. 
You learn how to honor God with your wealth now at this age when there's no zeros after the one. And then when you're in high school, maybe there's a zero after the one. And maybe you're in college and there's a couple zeros after the one. And then hopefully it goes up from there, you know? <laughs> I haven't been there yet, but uh, one day it will, right? By not giving to God what is already his, God says, dude, let's call this what it is. You're robbing me. You're stealing from me. And is anybody in here surprised? Are we surprised that Israel, we've seen their heart from everything that was in their hands. Are we surprised that they're robbing God? No, because they don't fear God, do they? They don't honor God, do they? And so now their heart is even, even being revealed in how they handle their money. And so look what happens. Because they have stopped giving to God, because they have stopped honoring him with their wealth, God has stopped blessing them, straight up. God has stopped blessing them. And he says, you are cursed with a curse. They're hoarding their wealth, right? Because why, guys, why would you not give it to God? Why would you not give to God what is already his? Because you're hoarding it thinking, well, I can get more, right? $10 is better than $9, right? 100% is better than 90%. And so they're greedy. They're hoarding it. They're relying on it. And they're thinking, if I don't give it to God, I have more, right? And God says, you fool. Nine with me is better than 10 without me. That's what he's saying to them. You're relying on yourself. You're not worshiping me with your wealth. And so I'm gonna stop blessing you, AKA the response is gonna be cursing. And so the next time you go out and you sow your cornfield, you're gonna go, wait a minute. I, I didn't get as many corn stalks, right? Is that what it's called, a corn stalk? Stalk? L is silent? Corn sticks. I don't have as many corn sticks in my field. Why is that? And God is like, I'm not blessing it. And then you're like, oh yes, my sheep is pregnant. So my sheep is worth $1,000. So every little sheep that, every little sheepling that, that's not a sheepling. Every little lamb, every little... Dude, I'm out of my depth, can you tell? When it comes to the agricultural things, I know, I'm sorry. All the farmers over here from Camus are like, Ugh. But listen, your lamb, your lamb that is super valuable and worth a thousand bucks, you're like, yes, my lamb is pregnant and every little lamb that is gonna come from her is gonna give me more thousand dollar lambs. And then she has birth and you're like, how come she only gave birth to two? They usually give birth to 10. Hypothetical, I really don't know that for a fact. Don't quote me, that's not the Bible, that's Sam. But the point is, by hoarding and by not honoring God with their wealth, they're actually becoming less and less successful. They're being cursed. This is the, this is the, the outcome of their disobedience. This is the outcome of relying on themselves. When they rely on themselves to, to, to support them, they're gonna get what they can give, excuse me. They're gonna get what they can give themselves. God says, I'm not blessing you anymore. I'm not going to make you prosper because you're relying on what you can provide for yourself, not what I can provide for you. And students, the, the, the point here is clear, right? God is your provider. God is your provider. Everything that you have is from God. Do you understand that? Raise your hand if you understand that. Everything you have is from God. So here's my question to you. Do you continually remind yourself of that? by doing regular, disciplined giving. 
Every dollar that your family has, every job that you've ever got, every lawn that somebody hired you to mow, all of that is from God. So do you remind yourself that all of it is God's? By making regular sacrificial giving a part of your life with God. Students, you don't need to have a lot of money to love it, right? You don't need to have a lot of money to love it. And so I'm asking you to look into your hearts right now. Do you love your money and you think that by having this, this white knuckle grip on it and by squeezing it tight and hoarding it, do you think that by doing that you'll be more successful? Or do you realize that God is the one who takes care of me and so I have no problem letting it go and being generous and worshiping God with my offerings and contributions? Because hey, that's not what's gonna take care of me. God is. Yeah, good point, Sam. Wow, our speaker. No, ask yourself, honestly, do you really believe that God is your provider? Do you? And do you remind yourself by making giving a regular part of your life? It's all from God. And so God is calling Israel, basically he's saying, worship me with your wealth. Look what he says, keep going. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. He goes, resume your giving. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Is God hungry? No, the form of their tithe was food. It was animals, it was crops. He's like, bring it back in. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Hashtag blessed, right? You're like, I found a quarter on the ground. Hashtag blessed. God's like, no, I'm gonna make it rain. Keep going. Verse 11, I will rebuke the devourer for you. Everybody say devourer. devourer. We'll get there. So that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. And then all the nations will call you blessed for you, Israel, you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. God is telling them, worship me with your wealth. How many people like singing? Yeah, I worship God through singing. How many of you like reading your Bibles? Okay, how many of you guys like serving with your time and you're gonna get involved, right? Get involved, and we go to church, right? You like sitting in the sermon. These are all parts of the way that we worship God. And what God is saying, worship me with your wealth too. It's not like, here's my spiritual life, but then, hey God, there's money, so I'm just gonna have to be practical. Worship God with everything, including your wealth. And so he says to them, he goes, remember that practice of bringing your tithes to me? Let's do that again. Resume the practice of worshiping me with your wealth. Go back to that, not because I need it, not because it's for my sake, but because it's for your sake. That regular kind of giving is for your sake. It develops trust in God. It's a tangible way of honoring him. And here's another thing, it keeps our relationship to money healthy, okay? If you feel like, man, I, I kind of feel a love for money already brewing in my heart, even at this young age, the perfect remedy for that is give it away. Give it, that's like a dagger in the heart of your greed for money. Like this, everybody go like this, ready? Everybody, arms up, arms up, right? Not the swipe, you're like, credit cards? No, no, but the money, like this move right here, this is, there's almost like a reflex. I think this muscle is like tied to our souls and this reflex, the practice of giving, it helps us have a healthy relationship with money. That's why one of Jesus, like he talks about it all the time, money, one of the foundations of Jesus' spirituality was giving alms to the poor. 
And so if you feel like, like something is wrong with your relationship to money, give it away. And that will help you remember that God is Lord, not money. Everybody say, God is Lord, not money. Right? Every time you give, you're saying, God takes care of me, not money. And so God promises, look what he does. God promises he's to pour out all of these blessings, right? And, and we'll get through them. But he promises to pour out all of these blessings, right? I will pour down for you a blessing as they honor him and as they trust him because he wants them to know that you will be more blessed trusting in God than hoarding for yourself. That's the reality, students. You'll be more successful, you will be more blessed, tangibly blessed in your life by trusting in God, not hoarding for yourself. But Sam, I mean, I'm just gonna tell you what, my, what, like, what I hear, okay? Let's just be real. I've already heard that in the Bible it says that God helps those who help themselves. How many of you know where that's found in the Bible? Anybody? It's not, right? How many of you have heard that before? God helps those who help themselves. Meaning, well, I mean, if I'm just gonna like, I'll just make sure that I have all the money and then, yeah, that's being blessed. No, no, God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who trust in him. That's Bible. That's gospel. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God helps those who trust in him. Imagine God sitting here, right? And he sees, let's say our, our little seventh graders here, right? God sees them putting their trust, tangibly, putting their trust in God. God sees a group of students like citizens making, giving a regular part of their lives. And he sees a community that says, God, your, uh, your Lord, not money. And you know what God does? He looks at that and he says, they're trusting in me. I love to show them that that trust is not misplaced. I love to show students, I love to show my people who are continually relying in me, I love to show them that I will never let them down. And so he blesses that. He blesses it, he helps those who trust in him. And so let's look, this is fun. Let's look at a few of the ways that God is gonna bless them, okay? <laughs> this is awesome. He says, I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing. If that doesn't sound like a rap song, I don't know what does, right? I'm gonna open the windows of heaven, right? <laughs> no rapping? Okay, we'll do it, we won't do it. Do what? Rap it? I can't do that, Lila. Don't tempt me, Frodo, right? I'm gonna open the windows of heaven, and I'm gonna pour down for you a blessing. And so there's people down here on earth, right? And they're like waving their Benjamins, and they're like, I'll make it rain, right? I'll make it rain. And God's like, dude, if only you would trust in me, I would make it rain, right? <laughs> I would make it pour down on you abundant blessings. Again, God is not a hip-hop artist. I apologize for creating a persona that way. But we see that God will make it rain abundant blessings. I will make it abundant. You trust in me, and the next time that you're growing your crops and you want the corn sticks, you're gonna be blown away at the abundance. The next time your animal starts to give birth, you're gonna be blown away at how abundant you are. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you because you trust in me. God helps those who trust in him. Look what else he does here. This is awesome. He says, I will rebuke the devourer. I will rebuke the devourer. All I can do when I read this, I get a picture of like God, like, like, a, like locusts coming up and God just jumping up and swatting them. You know what I mean? Like, not in my house, boof. I will rebuke the devourer. A devourer, you guys know what pestilence is, right? Bugs that eat your crops. You ever heard of pesticides? 
Same root word there, pesticides prevent pestilence, pestilence, right? I've heard it both ways. And so let me show you some pictures here, right? He's gonna protect their wealth. So look at this, that's disgusting. No, 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 no. That's what I say when I see this, right? This is locust. The dude is walking through a field of locust. These are bugs. I don't know what part of the ecosystem they play. I'm not going to lie. But here's what they do. They come in and they will go through a field, right? And all the corn sticks, they're looking green. They're looking healthy. And the locusts come through. And they just start going everywhere. And look at the result. All right. Happy harvest day. Let's go out and get the crops. Oh, wait. I have no crops. And so most of you are looking at me like, haha, that makes no sense. Because you think that you can just go to Walmart and get more crops. Bummer, they didn't have their little planting project successful. They're gonna have to go buy it, not organic. <laughs> this is their bank account. This is their wealth. They literally, they plant, they water, they sow, they pray. They do all these things for months, hoping that in the fall they'll make money. Hoping that in the fall, that's where their grain will come, that's when the food will come, that's when they can sell things to make money. This is everything, and so there's nothing worse. Like, you will become destitute if you show up in the fall and you have no crops. And God says, hey, if you stop hoarding it, if you stop relying on what you can do, if you stop having this white knuckle grip on your wealth, if you honor me and trust me, I will rebuke the devourer. I will protect your wealth. I will protect your wealth. But God, I gotta, I gotta keep more, because if I keep more, I get more. And God says, no, actually, if you trust in me, you get more. God helps those who trust in him. And then the last part, last verse here. Look at another benefit, another blessing. He says, all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight. All the people, right, all the nations will see how successful they are. All the nations will look at them and they'll go, how are you so abundant? Can you teach us your irrigation tricks? Can you teach us your crop skills? Can you teach us your farming skill? Actually, you know why we're successful? Because we are a nation that trusts in God. And so their example, their wealth, will be a beacon to all, telling the whole world, God helps those who trust in him. And so God wants to bless his people. God wants to make a nation successful as they trust in him, because that will be a light to everyone. Wow, God helps those who trust in him. And so my question for you tonight is pretty simple, students. My question, the, the, the way that I want us to respond as the band comes forward, I want you to ask yourself a simple question. Where's your trust? Now, for those of you who are new here, notice what we're doing. We don't just read this and go, wow, what a cool story. Yeah, I'll tuck that one away. Now I'm smarter. No, 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 no. We look at it like it's in a mirror and we go, God is saying this. What does that say about me? Where's my trust? Where's your trust? What does your money, what does your attitude toward your wealth reveal about your heart? Well, Sam, this is such a dumb message because I don't have money, so you should make this a metaphor. Instead of wealth, we'll talk about your time. No, 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 we're talking about wealth. <laughs> That's what he's talking to Malachi about. And it's not silly because, again, one day you'll have money. A lot of you guys think 100 bucks is a lot of money right now. It's perspective, it's not. <laughs> All the middle schoolers snicker, right? <laughs> it's not. 
If you think that, you know what, one day when I have a lot of money, that's when I can start worshiping God with my wealth, and right now this is irrelevant. No, students. How many of you, like, you have cash in your hands at some point throughout the month? I just want to see hands. And if you don't, it's okay. But either through a job or chores or allowance or side hustle, whatever it is. Anybody? Okay. Cool. That's good. Hey, I, I sold baseball cards when I was a kid. Whatever. But the point is, guys, you can start honoring God with your wealth now. And so the question is this. Here's two categories, right? Either number one, you're going to be on this side that says, I need money. You're going to be on this side that says, man, I have to squeeze tight. I need to love money because the more I love it, the more I'll be taken care of. Man, I really fear if I don't have this, I don't know what would happen. I need it. Is that you? Or are you on this side that says, God, I'm going to continually give my, my wealth back to you. I'm going to continually honor you with my offerings and my contributions. God, I'm going to give generously, cheerfully, and regularly as a reminder that God is your source, not money. Are you constantly reminding your own heart, God is my source, God is my provider, God is my trust, not money. Because God helps those who trust in him. Let me, let's end with this verse here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Oh, okay, we can do lyrics. But give, me that, give me that back, Sky. Let's show him that verse. Last slide of my presentation there. You don't have it? Oh, we switched over. It's okay. Let's read it. Open up our physical Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. I still have that page in my Bible. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Students, the way that we're going to respond today, um, and I'll have the ushers get ready, and we'll stand in a moment, but you'll notice that every week we do offering. That's not because... And that's actually not why I'm preaching this text. This is not because I need money. And so if I can get my kids to make money, I'll have a big bonus check. Guys, no, that's not how it works. There's been a lot of bad examples of preachers talking about money, to be honest. Okay. There's been a lot of bad examples of ministry leaders who basically like try to manipulate people into giving money so that they can have really fancy jets. <laughs> that's not what this is. But at the same time, we do want to talk about money in an appropriate way because this is the way that we worship God with our wealth. And so every week, we take offering here. Every week, the setup squad, they come through and they pass out the buckets. And what we do is we make giving a regular part. Well, how much am I supposed to give to be a real official member? No, no, no. It's about consistency. It's about regular giving. It's about giving cheerfully, Right? Because you get to the New Testament and God is not giving you a dollar amount. He says, I want you to give abundantly. I want you to trust in me. I want you to give generously with your money. Not because you're giving to Sam. Not because you're giving to a church. You're giving ultimately to God because it's all his anyway. It's all his. And so here's what we're doing, right? Out of this text, we are wanting to grow as a community of students who worship God with their wealth. We want to grow as a community of students that believe with all of our hearts that God helps those who trust in him. And you know what the results would be after doing this for seven years of middle school and high school? When you become a young adult, when you become a man or a woman, when you get jobs and careers and, mar and you're married and you have children, you'll continue to do this. And God will just add zeros at the end of that one, right? 
And you'll continue to do that because you formed those habits now. God helps those who trust in him.